Welcome to the Homeschool Loftcast 2.0, a monthly podcast presented by the Homeschool Loft. The Homeschool Loft is a homeschool parent resource center based in Northeast Wisconsin. Our goal at the Loft is to encourage parents who educate their children at home and to let them know that they are both called to and empowered for the task of home-based education. At the Loft itself, we offer one-on-one consultations, discussion groups, workshops and seminars, a monthly newsletter, a blog, and events of various types. Through the Loftcast, we extend our reach to encourage and bless homeschooling parents everywhere. And now, the hosts of the Homeschool Loftcast 2.0, Tina Hollenbeck and Chris Yeager. Hello, everybody. Well, we are back with another episode, and in addition to being a veteran homeschool mom, Chris is a trained speech therapist with years of experience providing speech therapy for kids in a whole bunch of different settings. Yeah. (laughs) So we also know that helping kids with special needs of all different types is a big topic of discussion among homeschoolers. Not every homeschool child has a diagnosable special need, but sometimes the reason a parent will pull a child from conventional school is because of a special need and then they need help and they want help and they wanna maximize their children's learning. So we know the whole thing of special needs is a big topic. So since Chris is here and her expertise is speech and language, we're gonna delve in and we're gonna talk speech and language today. Um, Just to kind of give you guys who maybe have kiddos in that realm or you think they might be, some basic information to get you started thinking about whether you need to worry about it or not, because you might not need to. So Chris is right here with me. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So first of all, before we dive into some of the other things, give us a little bit background um, of your training and experience with speech and language therapy. Okay. Well, as... A speech pathologist, um, you're required to have a master's degree. Okay. Um, Lots of people will go with an undergraduate degree in whatever and then a master's degree in speech Mm -hmm. path. Mm -hmm. I specifically, after my freshman year in college, discovered what they call communication disorders. Okay. Which is generally the undergraduate department that handles that. Okay. Um, But a friend neighbor introduced me to the concept and when I was very intrigued took some introductory courses so my undergraduate degree is actually in communication disorders okay and then um, it also included some components of education Mm. as far as working in the education system because a lot of speech therapists work in the schools yes they also work in birth to threes and in hospitals and in neonatal intensive care units with adult populations with people with disabilities and with the elderly sure so there's a wide variety of places where people work so my undergraduate is in communication disorders my master's degree is in speech language pathology okay uh, usually it's divided up you'll go to school um, there'll be audiologists and speech language pathology in the same department ah, okay um, and that's also part of your speech path degree mm-hmm. is to be aware of audiology, which is hearing and hearing impairment. Right, because sometimes for some kiddos, the speech and language issues are because they're hearing impaired, yes. right? So they need yes. to work on all of that, but right. not all the time. Right, right, so, right. yeah. Okay. Um, and so what is your experience? Uh, you know, who, did, who have you worked with over the years? Oh my, okay. <laughs> I think I have been in just about every setting that there is, because okay. a lot of the time, as my kids were growing up, I worked that around my kids. Right. I didn't ever fully not work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started off in the school system mm-hmm. in another state. 
um, wanted to move closer to home and so ended up, because I was also trying to pay off my student loans, so I was working <laughs> evenings in a nursing home Okay. because I'd finish the school day and then I'd go do a couple hours in the sure. nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that company, I was able to transfer states uh, and just move up. It just simplified that process. And okay. this is, you know, this is several decades ago. <laughs> so it isn't like the internet where now you interview yeah. online. Right. I was coming from the southern part of the country back to Wisconsin. Yeah. So yeah. it was a thing and I was trying to make it easy transition. Sure. But so um, bounce to that. I worked in the birth to three programs uh-huh. in several counties um, and actually transitioned to a private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nice thing to be able to do with this because you can run your own schedule. Yeah. Um, there's some there's some definite challenges to it. Um, I, I had always wanted to, but when I switched jobs at one point, I'd been working in a hospital setting mm-hmm. and one of the parents of the kiddos I was seeing there after I transition to a birth to three program. So I moved elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, she tracked me down. I don't know how she found <laughs> found my home number, but called me at home to oh, see wow. if I would consider seeing her child. Ah, like on the side. On the side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of the birth because then parents talk. Yeah. Um, and I never advertised. <laughs> um, it just kind of grew from there, which oh. worked very nicely with being able to grow something that I could do along with raising yeah. my kids. Right, because you can work as much as you want. And yeah. when you can say, I'm full, I can't yep. do it, right? And yep. you're not on somebody else's schedule. So yep. you're okay. not. So I could really, I could really do that. Um, the challenges of private practice are the things where you're looking at reimbursement because you're uh, running your small business. It yeah. is a business. Um, I, I felt like I was very successful in able to, um, aligned with insurance companies and become mm-hmm. a preferred provider for a couple. Oh, okay. All right. So you did work with insurance at that I point. I did. Okay. At that point, I did. It was an enormous amount of hoops to jump through. <laughs> I bet. But once you got in, you could kind of make it work. Now, okay. you're very restricted. Mm. You're very restricted, and there's a lot of paperwork. And I also was with, um, could serve medical assistance patients. I mm. went and got my certifications to do that. Okay. Which was wonderful. However, medical assistance is a nightmare for any professional to work with. Yeah. Much less someone who's doing this as an income. Yeah. I was spending so much more time doing paperwork to simply get any amount of re- uh. reimbursement, which was small, probably 10 times the amount of time I was actually seeing the child. Yeah. Um, so that was really a challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, it's got to be crazy stressful because yeah. I don't want to stereotype, but I mean, if you if you need medical assistance, it's because you have very low income yeah. and you don't have means to help your child any other way. Right. And so here you are trying to help, but it's like, I also have to care for my family, so I can't spend three hours doing right. paperwork. And why should those people have to jump through that hoop, really, right? Absolutely. I mean, some paperwork, yes, but, you know. Yeah, it, it did. it, And it got to the point, you know, my husband and I sat down and we had a business plan. And it was, mm-hmm. we made a decision, sort of a tithing kind of decision, yeah. that we were, that I could do a certain percentage of my caseload could be medical assistance. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible at saying no. Yeah. And... And, you know, that got to be hard to juggle. And I don't regret anything I did. And I met the most amazing families, and it was wonderful. That worked. I had the private practice for quite a few years until we moved. Mm -hmm. And we're currently in a much more rural location. (laughs) So having it, because at one point I had the office in my home. Oh, okay. And 
which worked. We had a child with some needs at that point in mm-hmm. time. Um, so it really gave me a lot of flexibility to yeah. be physically present, but not needing, you know, in case right. of emergency and I could have assistance in the home and all this right. other stuff. Right. Um, but where you are now, that would not probably no, work. No, no, so, no, yeah. it wouldn't. And, and you know, it's yeah. just not a thing. Seasons of life, too. Seasons right? of life. Plus, yeah. then my kids were hitting the teen years. Yes. And there was a lot more going on then. And, yeah. You know, yeah. We I the- did in-home child care for years and years. Mm-hmm. And I stopped when my girls were right before high school. Yeah. It kind of was a natural transition with the family, the last family I had. Mm-hmm. People you know as well. But yeah. I was like, they're moving on. Um, mom was coming home from her job and was going to be home, which was wonderful. Um, I'm not going to advertise for more. This is a good time to focus elsewhere. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 We all have that. Yeah. And it worked really well. I returned back to working in long-term care Mm -hmm. because I could do what's called PRN work. So kind of on-call work. Oh, okay. So I could hook in with some agencies and some nursing homes in the area if their therapist was out or they had something they needed a couple hours. I had the flexibility over seven days. Oh, nice! Because I could work on the weekends. Yeah. So I could work when my husband was home. Yeah. Or I could. It just it worked with my kids' crazy schedule because I could also just say no. Yeah. You know, nope, not available. That's great. Um. So we juggled that. Uh, Yeah. I think I've been in every setting there is at (laughs) one point or another, which has been great. Hospitals are challenging. Yeah. That was, I initially thought I wanted to work in the neonatal intensive care unit, and I had quite a bit of training in that in graduate school, and then I had my first child, and I saw his face Mm. in every infant, and I saw my heart in every parent, and being a blubbering mess is not (laughs) helpful. I said, you know what? This is not this is not the point in time. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. But yeah. Oh wow. So that's okay. So thinking about like homeschool parents. Yes. Um I know there's not really like one right answer to this, but (laughs) Okay. Broadly speaking, okay, can you kind of summarize a normal progression of speech and language development in a child? And kind of the order of skill development and maybe age ranges for some of those things. Like, so I have an infant grandson, right? Yes. Okay. And he's going to be a toddler pretty soon and all of that. And parents are often wondering, you know, what's normal? Okay. Is is my child too quiet? One of the girls I babysat never spoke for the mm. longest time because mm-hmm. everybody else is speaking for her. And she just is a quiet kid to begin with. Yeah. And her mom was not nervous about it. But at a certain point, she's like, you know, I'm going to just have that checked into. Mm-hmm. And I think parents were, again, homeschool parents, we want the best for our kids. Right. So what's kind of normal? Okay. <laughs> I'll try and give I mean, a there's broad textbooks brush. and courses and oh, all kinds goodness, of things yes. on that, but in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm going to say don't go to the CDC guidelines because they've <laughs> changed them mm. and I'm not happy. Yep. We don't even have to go there. They're not reliable anymore. <laughs> okay. What they used to be were more accurate. You know, when you're talking about zero to one, you should be hearing vocal play. Okay. You should be hearing your child making noises. You should be interacting with them, respond treat their coos and ahs as if they're communicating because they really are. And as you respond to them, that encourages them to do more and it shapes what they're doing. They start to learn that back and forth of communication Mm. and things. So that's really powerful. So what I'd like to see that first year is I really like to see vocal play. I want to hear kids vocalizing. Yes, that does eventually come out that they go through a screaming phase. (laughs) 
It is a thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Seth is seven months old and he's squealing a lot now. It's so fun. <laughs> it is. It is. And really, the great thing is they're playing with their voice. Yeah. The, and every infant is born with the capability for any sound in any language. Hmm. Any language. Swahili and everything. The clicks and stuff. All that. Wow. What changes it? is what they're exposed to. Hmm. And over time, they will drop out the sounds that are not used in the language they hear the most. Wow. So when you talk about, and this is stereotypical, and please don't take it that way, but when you talk about an Asian speaker, someone who, Asian born, yeah, typically the R's and the L's are really hard for them. They're usually sure. like W's. Because they don't exist in their home uh, language. Okay, so the kids never hear it. They never hear it. So therefore, they don't learn how to say mm. it. Right. Okay. Right. They don't. Now, we all know people can, you can learn it. Yeah. But it's not something that they even really hear as a difference because mm-hmm. their ear isn't tuned to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same, say with, uh, same way with us English speakers. Yeah. There's a whole lot of things that we just, you know, there's a tsst sound that's a initial consonant in a, a language in Africa. It's not in English. <laughs> so that was really tricky when yeah. we took a mission trip to learn oh, some of that yes, and yes. knowing some people where that was the initial cost. And they're just going to laugh at you because you're not saying it right even if right. you're trying. Right. right. Yeah. Because we would, yeah. s- instead of T-S, we would s- and yeah. It doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't work. So yeah. so really, the more vocal play. Okay. And please treat your little one like they're communicating and yeah. back and forth. And, oh, is that so? Okay. Are you sure? Wow, that was amazing. Just keep So if a child is approaching one year old and there's not that playfulness at all? If they're communicating with you, Mm -hmm. communication is the bottom line. Okay. Are they using eye gaze to look at things that they want? Are they protesting at Mm -hmm. you with something they don't (laughs) like? And I know we want to view that as a negative, (laughs) But it's a really good communication thing. Yeah. Are they protesting? Are they showing preferences? Are they seeking you out? Mm-hmm. Are they making eye contact with you to get your attention? Okay. Are they using any amount of gestures? Okay. Okay. Um, between one and two, and it varies for every child, you'll right. start seeing those first words. Mm. Those first words won't necessarily sound like what we think. Okay. Okay. The rule for a word is a sound pattern that is consistently used for a particular object or person. Okay. Or activity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's it could be blah blah blah, <laughs> but that means orange. Yeah. Okay. If they Because use, he uses it every single time he wants an orange yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Okay. That counts as a word. Okay. Now we're gonna work on shaping that so it, <laughs> It sounds more like it, and they will work on that, too. But I know I see a lot of people who are really concerned because, well, he doesn't say it clearly. Oh, he's not going to say it clearly. You know, that's it's not going to come clearly. Yeah. They're getting the motor control. The fact that we speak at all is a miracle in it of itself. (laughs) Right. And that we can narrow it down to one language as we hear and get experience, right? Yeah. At what age can a parent expect like real words that are in English since we're English speakers, right? You know, that they're going to kind of match. When when can that start to happen? You start to see it emerging about two. Okay. And we'll call it word approximations when they're similar but not quite. You know, they don't sound like the adult versions. Yeah. Um, But, you know, mama, 
mm-hmm. is common, right? You know, baba might be bottle. Okay. Okay. That's a word. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to start, it's going to morph and change. Yeah. Um, there, are, there's a lot of sound development that goes on in a progressive manner. Mm-hmm. So the easiest are what we call the bilabials, M, B, P, because it's your lips. Okay. And it's really visible. Which is maybe why mama is a first mm-hmm. word, right? Because of well, the M. Well, you know what's yeah. usually the first Dada. word? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Which doesn't make any sense because the lips aren't together, but okay. It's completely unfair. And my <laughs> husband knows that I was really irritated because our first two children, it was dada. And then he knows that with our third child, I worked really, really hard on mama. This was the last child and I was going to get mama and I was home all the time. And you did. I did. I got mama. Okay, you have to show me how to get Nana. <laughs> we will work on that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was, but, yeah, it typically is. Okay. Um, you know, you'll get simple patterns, yeah. usually that repetitious pattern in those words. Right. Um, so you'll get and T's and D's, T mm-hmm. and da, K and G usually come along pretty well. Okay. You're going to see more complicated sounds like ch, j. If you think about how you make those sounds, you've got a contact, but you've got an airflow. Hmm. And it's a very fine-tuning motor movement. Okay. So there's a lot of neurological development that's going on, muscular development, as well as sound play and figuring out how to do this. Um, I I will say right off the bat, if anybody's worried about R's, Mm-hmm. Don't worry about them <laughs> until you're between six and eight and ah. closer to eight. Okay. That's, see, okay. that's what I wanted to get at because you and I talk to so many parents who will say my child is four years old and I can understand her, but other people can't. Right. And they're worried. And I, I get that sometimes that yeah. might be a problem, mm-hmm. but I think mostly it's kind of like reading, right? Yeah. Some kids are early readers. Yes. Some kids are super comprehensible mm-hmm. at four and some kids need a little bit longer, right? Yeah. They, there's... there's muscular things that need to develop yeah um and there's things that impede that but there's muscular things that need time to develop um i definitely think you know it's a good gauge to know okay how much do other people really understand people Mm -hmm. that don't see them every day yeah so sometimes grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle who see them once a month or or whatever it might be you know how much of that do they understand? Mm-hmm. The really big gauge for me is: is your child frustrated? Are they unable to communicate to okay. others? And my concern level goes up with the child's frustration level. Hmm. Um, if they're frustrated, even at a young age, they're not successfully communicating, and they're frustrated, that ramps it up to a much larger concern. Okay, in my, I'm like, you know. Because we want our kids to be communicators. Yeah. They yeah. need to. Well, and if they're frustrated, then exactly. obviously we, we want to try to help them get past that. Right. And if it's a language thing, then there's something going on. Yep. Maybe they have a hearing impairment, right? So Sometimes. they can't form those letters. Mm-hmm. We need to figure that out. Maybe we're dealing with autism, right? Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of things that can cause speech issues, yeah. right? Lots of things. And we're I'm, I'm thinking of a few kiddos that I visit with now who kind of have... Some muscular things going on. And there may have been an illness as a young one. There may have been, you know, people always worry about tongue tie. Yes. In all honesty, tongue tie very rarely impacts Hmm. development because 
with movement, it stretches. However, it depends on where that is hmm. and where it's connecting. And there's a whole myriad of things. So sometimes it is a concern. Yeah. Um, early ear infections or lots mm-hmm. of ear infections because sure. they're, I mean, they're hearing underwater. So that's what it sounds yeah. like. They're not getting that feedback on what they're saying. Okay. So they can hear, but what they're hearing is not accurate. So therefore they don't produce what's exactly. accurate. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Wow, so, I mean, I'm, this is why it's such a complicated field, right? <laughs> it's not just a thing, but um, okay. You mentioned one, the mm-hmm. R's. Okay. Yeah. Are there some other things? And I'm thinking maybe you know five, six, seven years old, mm-hmm. right? That are really not a concern that parents think might be a concern. And I'm thinking of one that I think you're going to mention is maybe stuttering. Stuttering is a big one. Because we're going to post a blog article that you've written about that too. Yeah. So. And that comes up a lot. And, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know how you are thinking about your kid's development, but I what happens as a little one is maturing, especially those preschool years, yeah. their brain is just expanding and their cognition is just growing and they have so much they want to say and they're very excited about the world around them and you're also dealing with a muscular system that's maturing as well (laughs) and they're getting teeth and all these things right everything everything (laughs) everything's going on and they're very excited and it's all wonderful and it's so fun and it is yes but there is a normal phase of stuttering called developmental stuttering Mm -hmm. where a child is having those repetitions um your um is a very good one. And and in reality, we all stutter. So, right. you know, it's But they okay. even might say a real word and, but, and repeat it, right? Yep. And why, the, are, why are they doing that? They're doing that, honestly, to give their brains time to catch up. Yeah. There's just so much they're trying to process cognitively. They simply can't keep up. Yeah. That's really what is happening. Yeah. Uh, That's the, not a real stutter. It's not a real stutter. Yeah. It's not a real stutter. The best thing at that point in time mm-hmm. is to completely ignore it and give them all the time in the world to get it out. Just keep very relaxed. I know as a parent you hear that, especially if you have family members who stutter. Yeah. Or you did. Or you are you have a friend who did. Mm-hmm. Or a family member points it out. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And really the best thing, just let them work through it. It mm-hmm. is a normal developmental phase. Now... What becomes a concern is if they become concerned about it Mm, because mm -hmm. some kids will then try to avoid it or they will try to shut down and not speak because they're concerned about it. And that's what we don't want to have happen. Okay. So in all honesty, and you can go to the Stuttering Foundation website, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of information. They're very talented. Um, For most kids, almost all kids that have developmental stuttering, it's a phase. Yeah. Just try and let it go. Mm-hmm, you know, if you the mm-hmm. less pressure, the n- no attention on it, yeah. just get, let them work through it. One then, of my girls had that. Okay. And she also went through a phase where it seemed like she was developing tics. Okay. So that was really odd because we're like, yeah. what's going on? And I even videotaped her a couple times because mm-hmm. it seemed like she was zoning out. And I was like, do we have little seizures going right. on here? Um, and the doctor we had at the time, at that time, she was great. We won't talk about later on. But at that time, and it turns out she had tics. So she oh. could she would watch the video and she's like, No, that's not what's going on here. The stuttering is this developmental stuttering because she's and she's a smart girl. So yeah. now I know it was just her trying to get all that out. Yeah. And I kind of if it had just been stuttering, I probably would have thought that myself, but the other things. Yeah. Um and it, it all seemed to be fine. We learned that it seemed to happen when my husband would go away for a trip. Oh, she was stressed. So it was just like a stress thing because okay. she missed her daddy. Yeah. 
But I had to kind of do some problem solving and try not to freak out. Yeah. But also, this is something odd. So you want to have the right amount of concern yeah. without too much, right? Keep an eye on it. Yeah. And I would say from the stuttering aspect, if the child is frustrated, if you're seeing them choose not to communicate mm. or shut down, you're, you know, you're seeing that impact on them, Yeah. then let's get some help. There's a yeah. lot of easy, um, simple techniques that we do and... <laughs> Honestly, a, for several little ones that I've known, it's simply a playtime mm. with somebody where they're just kind of, without them realizing they're being modeled some of these easier ways to talk mm-hmm. that help smooth it out just a little, okay. and they take off. Okay. But so yeah. there are some things parents can do at home. Yes. By there themselves. Are. There are. Right. How do parents learn about that? <laughs> I'll send you back to the Stuttering Foundation because there's some great websites there. Um, There are some lovely people on YouTube where if you look up developmental stuttering. We'll put some of these links, I think, on the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. um, There's some great resources. Certainly reach out and we'd send some resources your way too or help you problem solve. But there's there's some really easy things. But the biggest thing is just bringing down that communication stress. Mm -hmm. And I know it's hard. It's been a really long day. You're really tired. He's (laughs) trying to tell you this really intense story before he goes to bed and he has to tell it to you. And you just want him to get those words out. And it's just kind of taking forever. Just breathe. Put on your happy face and just (laughs) breathe. Fake it till you make it, but fake it and yeah. just let them work it out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we want to keep all the negativity out of that. The bottom line is we want your child communicating. Yeah. If they do develop true stuttering, it's generally something that can be very well managed. Mm. There are amazing people, very famous people that are true stutterers. James Earl Jones is really? a mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and I can't think of who it is. There's a, a politician, and it wasn't one of the presidents, and I'll have to find it, but I know it's on yeah. the Stuttering Foundation website. They have a list of all these people. Mm. But I remember watching a video after, and I'm like, he's not a stutterer. And then I watched the video. He's very good. Oh, and you could see it because you know what to look for. He found, yeah. He's yeah. using the techniques. Yeah. He's using some compensations to get him through when huh. he starts to run into an issue. Interesting. Yeah, so there's... It, it's not a big thing. Yeah. It's not yeah. a big thing. Okay. It can be. And most kids grow out of it. Every once in a while, you'll have a child who. Yep. It, it's like reading issues, right? Most kids get past them. Sometimes you have a child who does have a real reading exactly. issue. Exactly. Right? It is. So. It is. But don't don't panic when you see your little one yeah. having some stuttering because 99% of the time, it's simply developmental. Yeah. Give them time. A year later, you're not going to be seeing it. And you won't know. Okay. Yeah. When parents think there's an issue or they're pretty convinced there's mm-hmm. an issue, a lot of times, you know, they go talk to their doctor, mm-hmm. and which is not a bad idea, but mm-hmm. a lot of times the doctor will say, well, go to the public school. We're talking homeschool families, yeah. right? Go to the public school, have the kid evaluated, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Is that a good idea or not for homeschoolers? Oh, um, <laughs> you know, thinking of the families I know, mm-hmm. I understand because it is something that quite often... We have the birth to three programs. Yeah. So until your child is three, that's birth to three, and that's not the school system. Right. So that's a whole different thing. Yeah. 
But after three, it is the school system. Yeah. Um, I have mixed feelings. There are some fabulous therapists in the school system. Mm-hmm. Nothing. There's good teachers in the school system. Exactly. I think we said that one on our previous episode. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So it isn't. It isn't the therapy. What I've seen that we've been running into is kiddos. You maybe you can get an evaluation through the school yes. system. At least here, the way it's legislated, they don't have to provide therapy. If you're not enrolled in the right. school, they can. Right. And it actually should be required. But if they're too full, and honestly, right now, every speech therapist caseload is too full. Yes. Um, it's a common thing in the industry right now. Right. Which, right. Well, the last three years delayed a lot of kids' speech development. It so. did. It Enough did. said. Yeah. We, we don't have to go there. <laughs> but so, we know. So, yes. So, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, different states have different laws on that. If talking to people around the country... Um, I think in every state, homeschool kids have to be legally evaluated yeah. by a public school by request. Mm-hmm. But different states, then, if the services are warranted, must provide, must offer them, mm-hmm. right? Wisconsin does not have to offer them for speech or anything else, mm-hmm. right? But then there's also the flip side. If they do offer it, you are then putting the school system in authority over your child and your family. You are. And for homeschoolers in Wisconsin, right, we provide so little personal information as homeschoolers, but suddenly if, if you're giving a lot of information. Yeah, if your child goes into a program in the school or goes to speech therapy in, a, in the school, they're going to need an IEP, an yeah. Individualized Education Plan. And in that is an enormous amount of information, uh, personal information, yeah. Uh, down to social security numbers and things. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a great deal. There's also going to be a, a lot of medical information yes. that's, because it is really helpful for the right. therapist. I mean, and there's they, lots of meetings you have to go to. I oh, mean, yes. it's, it's very involved. Yep. It is. It's very involved. Um, I, I don't want to bash the schools because I know they're doing what they, the therapists there are doing what they can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult. Yeah. And there are times where parents end up having to really fight for their child's needs um I know and those are families where their kids are full-time enrolled even yeah right i know and, i know several families you're not yeah i know several families who've simply removed them because they're sick of fighting about it and yeah. i don't disagree yeah. um among so many other things so it's it's you can go to the schools yeah. you can um it's a place to start yeah maybe get the eval i don't know what are some alternatives? If like, so if I had had that issue, I, I would not, I personally would not have wanted to have my kids on the school's radar. And again, it's the system, not individual therapists or right. teachers that I'd be concerned about. I mean, I went so far as when my girls were in solo ensemble for mm-hmm. music, we could pick the festival to attend. And the band director is usually the one in charge of the, the festival, right, okay. in the school. I purposely chose a festival not in the district where I live. <laughs> so they wouldn't know. <laughs> and that's just crazy because it had nothing to do with anything. But that would have been my preference. Sure. So if, if a parent is just like, I, I really don't want to do the public schools, right. what else can they do? Okay. Um, some of your health insurance plans will cover. There mm-hmm. will be private therapists, or not private therapists. There are therapists at many of the medical centers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know here in several of the hospitals, there's private clinics mm-hmm. that will provide the service, um, and they do a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. It's very costly. 
just to warn you and check out your insurance plan because some insurance plans are very specific that yes they will cover it but they'll only do so many visits or Mm. they'll only do it this rate and things just so you know yeah to be blindsided with a very large bill when you thought it was being covered really is no fun no so you know i remember when my husband took a job at one point when our kids were young and it was it was a good move for him career-wise their health our health plan didn't cover speech therapy at all and I was mad. <laughs> yes, I mean you could cover it yourself if you needed to. Exactly. But, but it was the principle. Right? Yeah. <laughs> or don't feel capable of doing right, it. Right, right. So, but it was yeah. the principle of the thing. Yeah. Was, That's what I do. Yeah. What do you mean you don't cover it? So yeah. I was very offended and he kind of went, yeah. you know, spoke well, I think some the reason. insurance plans just expect people to go to the public schools. They do. Right. Yeah. And many of the insurance plans, if the child is of school age, yeah. will deny to cover now, not all. So check out your insurance plan, but sometimes they will deny because they'll say it's an educational and they can go to the schools. Yeah. So be sure and check that out. But check yeah. out um, again. There's some wonderful clinics. Mm-hmm. There's there are private therapists in the area. Um, there's various groups. Yeah, I do know there are some resources just for homeschool parents. Mm-hmm. I can't vouch for every single one of them. Yeah. But on the Homeschool Resource Roadmap, there are almost 100 providers listed for speech and language therapy. There are. And browsing around those websites as I added them, some of them look pretty cool. Yeah, there's everything from YouTube videos. Um, yeah. We talked about Peachy Speechy, yes. who is does primarily videos but they go through and explain things yeah. there's lots youtube is a great resource yeah. there's teachers pay teachers there's speech therapy right. resources there's a whole list the roadmap's great it had some quite a few that i've never heard <laughs> i have a long list of things i want to go look yeah. at yeah but and some of it is free but certainly it's yep. going to be less expensive yes. than that out-of-pocket cost yeah um because Tell our listeners what you're able to do here for some of our local homeschoolers, which people could look for in their area as well. I mean, you're not necessarily unique across the country, but you offer something pretty special for some people that we know here. I do. I offer what we call consultations. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do is come in, take a look. How can I help support you? So I'm going to sit down and I'm going to use the knowledge that I have Mm -hmm. and see what we're looking at and then educate parents and demonstrate and model what we're doing and kind of tweak things as we go and provide those next steps. So you're helping the kiddos and modeling it for the parents and you do charge, but you don't have to charge as much as the full on therapy or anything, right? So it provides some support and some encouragement um, without all of the exact rigmarole. (laughs) Yeah. And and the goal was to provide a resource and support in an affordable manner. And it's a very small fraction compared to, unfortunately, what I've heard some of the local places are charging. I had a couple of parents who spoke to me and said, yes, I went to so-and-so hospital and it was $300 an hour. (sighs) And I'm just, okay, I think my knowledge and education and everything and skill set is very valuable. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That's I do think, you know, some of the companies listed on the roadmap mm-hmm. are probably um like you, right? They're I think they're so. probably homeschool moms with the training in the mm-hmm. background. Now they're raising their kids, so they wanna use their skills. Yeah. They don't have full time, but they're gonna put out the videos, they're gonna yeah. make the resources. They know homeschool life. Yeah. Like you know homeschool life, so they're gonna do what they can for these families. Yep. At a lot cheaper price point. Oh yeah. A so, lot cheaper. And yeah. and I know of parents who've who've 
been following some of these programs and then they'll call and they're like, okay, I think this is working, but I think we're having trouble with this and I'm not sure. And we can do some direction. Yeah. You know, there's, there are some really good resources and sometimes it is knowing, oh, this might be a way to facilitate this. Yeah. There's, there's great resources. Yeah. Yeah. So, so don't be discouraged. <laughs> it's really good. Bottom line, we want your kiddo to communicate. Communication yeah. Even if it doesn't initially sound the way you think it should, it's still communication. And you want your child communicating. And it's progressive. Progressive. A little bit of help can go a long way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, little tweaking little things and you see responses. So it's great fun. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything you want to mention that we didn't touch on yet? Oh my goodness, there's so many things. <laughs> I know, this could be hours and days of episodes. It but. could, you mentioned something, I go, oh yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> um, you know, I just want you to be encouraged about your kiddos. They're great. They're great. Um, I just, when I was in the schools, I disliked the IEP process because yeah. I felt like it was always an evaluation of what your child can't do. Mm. And it's, and it was. Yeah. And, and I understand and it makes sense, but for you to hear that to me it broke my heart when I was in that in that scenario um I want you to think about everything your child can do use their strengths Mm. use their interests and and rejoice for who they are Mm. I don't need to add anything to that (laughs) if you guys have questions about speech and language stuff you can email us at the homeschool loft um, homeschoolloft at gmail.com and if Chris has some time she will um, give you some resource tips and that kind of thing Um, be well and go love on those kiddos bye thank you so much for tuning in today we trust that our discussion has provided you with some good insight that you can apply to your own homeschooling journey If you have any questions with which we might help, do not hesitate to reach out to us via the Homeschool Loft's website at www.homeschoolloft.com or via email at loftcastinfo at gmail.com. That's loftcastinfo, all one word, at gmail.com.